0: M. S. W. Media. Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans for Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. Today is the last day in June and I'll be chatting with my friend, comedian and founder of Nowhere Comedy, Steve Hofstetter, and the founder of Survivor Corp, Diana Barrent. So please enjoy. I'm happy to be joined today by my friend, author, columnist, comedian, co-founder of the Nowhere Comedy Club. Please welcome Steve Hofstetter. Steve, how are you?
1: I'm good, Allison. Thanks for having me.
0: It is great to see your face again, my friend.
1: Thank you. It's it's great to be able to show my full face now that the, <laughs> the mask laws are changing and people are getting vaccinated. It's a very different time from the last time we talked.
0: Very, very different time. And, I, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about today, because yeah. you just got off a tour. At the end of May, you're going back out again, July 8th. We'll talk about where you're going, because I want people to be able to go and see you because your your shows are <laughs> prolific. And if you're lucky enough to to watch Steve take down a heckler, it's it's one of the finer things in life.
1: Thank you. <laughs> you,
0: you there's many, many videos you can search on YouTube, which is Hofstetter Heckler, and they all come
1: up. And they just p- search Heckler, it'll come up. <laughs> yeah,
0: pretty, pretty great. Yeah, like the Heckler, and then you'll get Hofstetter. So Tell me a little bit about what it was like, because you went to several different cities and several different states. And right now, all of the states that have 70 percent of adults or, or people vaccinated with at least one shot are all states that voted for Biden. This has been a highly politicized effort to roll out these vaccines. I know Joe Biden wants to get 70 percent of the country at least one shot by July 4th. It looks like we might come a little bit short of that because of a lot of these red states. What was it like being out on the road in the different kinds of cities that you saw?
1: Well, I checked and, you know, I don't know what the latest numbers are, but the last time I checked, um, I I was curious. I was like, how many red states, you know, I don't want to call a whole state red, but how many states that voted for Trump in the last presidential election are above the national average when it comes to vaccinations? And the answer to that is zero. Uh, Iowa and Florida were tied with the average and everything else, everything that was above average were blue states and that's you know that's in many categories but especially vaccines um it was fascinating to be out there on the road because the first couple days of the tour was before the cdc announced you don't have to wear masks if you're vaccinated indoors anymore and we still kept them on during at the merch line because we want to make sure everyone felt comfortable when they came over um we didn't mandate them anymore Uh, you know, different cities had different mandates, um, everything from, you know, Minneapolis don't even wake up without wearing one to, you know, Fort Wayne, which is don't you dare wear one ever. Uh, it was a, it was a crazy dichotomy. We did, um, 13 different cities in, uh, 16 days. And so to see all the difference was, it was nuts. It was seeing Darwinism in real time.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, I know we I went on tour before the pandemic and we went to red states. But the, the cities we went to were blue dots. Yeah. And of course, the the audience that that we draw, there's not a lot of uh, Republicans in those <laughs> in those audiences. And so, you know, the, we have to keep that in mind, too, because you said something very important. Just because it's a red state, that doesn't mean it's all red. Right. And so, yeah. you know, you've got these sort of oases of different, uh, political beliefs.
1: Yeah. It's, if you, if you play a city that is just 50,000 population, so a smaller city. So if you play a 50,000 population that went 90, 10 for Trump, you know, you still have more people that can fit in that show that, that voted against him. So You certainly shouldn't expect anything based on where you are. Now, there are places where certainly it's easier to draw a progressive crowd. But I performed in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, because it was geographically in between Chicago and Minneapolis. And so it made sense. Um, And most of the crowd was wonderful. And one guy yelled out, "Uh, what do you think of Trump 2024? To which I responded, I think it's more realistic that it's 25 to life. (laughs) And he was not happy about that. And so I asked him, I said, you know, do you think that Trump will be the next Grover Cleveland? And he did not know what I meant at all. And I was like, well, well, this is why you support Trump, because you don't know what I mean. And if you knew the history of politics, you would understand how wrong you are. It is it is a self-selecting crowd for sure. When, you know, Andrew Rivers was on the tour with me and he had a joke where in the beginning of the joke, he asks how many people have been vaccinated and almost everyone said yes and what's really incredible is my my tour in Seattle they're requiring mm. um the venue itself i would love to be able to do that but some venues won't let me but uh the neptune in seattle is requiring people to be vaccinated to come to the show and i'm thrilled i love it how
0: many how many seats does the neptune have uh
1: 632
0: nice that's a great venue i think we were at we, we, we I think we did our show at Triple Door. Super fun. Very cool venue. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, I've been at Triple Door. That's a, that's a great place.
0: Yeah, and 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 what an incredible city. Yeah. I absolutely loved when I was in Seattle. And you've got a tour date coming up in Seattle actually now, right? Because you're kicking this off July 8th and you're going to be in Seattle.
1: Yeah, and and to I you know, I'm excited about that and it's going to be a really interesting dichotomy that week because the first show of that tour is Grand Rapid or sorry, is uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, which is Boulder country. Mm. And, you know, if you look at it like she took fifty five percent in Grand Junction, which means it's a beautiful city where thirty five thousand assholes happen to live. Hmm. And other people in the city are great. And all we need is it's a four hundred seater. We don't need the whole downtown. (laughs) You know, we need four hundred good people. Um, And, you know, and and honestly, I need three hundred ninety nine and I want her to come. I really would love for her to be at the show. That would be (laughs) phenomenal. Oh well, three ninety eight because we need we need a seat for her for someone to explain the jokes to her as well. So we need like a, <laughs> a translator. Yeah, we need some sort of you know uh, adult English to Bobert translator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone to translate my jokes into bumper stickers for her. my <laughs>
0: God, that's amazing. And you know, I encourage everybody to to go to these shows. And now you, I've noticed a little bit that your your comedy has definitely evolved since Trump came and left.
1: Yes, uh, absolutely. The, The day after he got elected, I was performing at the Laugh Factory and I opened my set by saying, I appreciate you guys coming out here today. I know a lot of you called in sad to work. And I did, it was a 15 minute set and I did 15 minutes of all the progressive stuff I had from over the years. I did, you know, 15 minutes on everything from You know, gay marriage to uh, pro-choice to immigration to just anything that I was worried was going to be needed to be spoken about. Mm. And I came up as a comic under Bush. You know, I started I started my first six, seven years as a comic. Bush was president and I felt very much like, I need to say these things. And then when Obama got elected and the tide started shifting to, and not just Obama got elected, but there was a supermajority in the Senate for like three days. <laughs> and there was, you know, that, that we did absolutely nothing with. Um, there was, uh, you know, overwhelmingly in Congress and it was just the tide shifted and I got lazy. I, I, and when Trump got elected, it reminded me why I'm a comic. I'm a comic to say something. And even in my current set, where the majority of the set that I'm doing right now is about growing up and then losing my dad and about grief and about how people process it, there are still a whole bunch of moments in there where I talk about immigration, you know, where I talk about us, you know, us as white people in America being immigrants, where I talk about how, you know, there, there's a joke I do in there about how do you think our places got their names. Oklahoma wasn't named after Kevin, Oklahoma. And so Kevin,
0: Kevin Oklahoma.
1: <laughs> I, by the way, I am waiting for the day where someone comes up to me after a show and be like, you know, my name is Kevin, Oklahoma, but it's still, even in a subject that completely doesn't relate, I still find it important to be political and to be aware. And I have very much used my social media mm-hmm. to do that more than anything. You know, I have, I have completely changed who I am on social media in that I've become an honest person.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. My set stayed the same, but my tags got political. <laughs> so, so kept the same yeah. sort of jokes because you know I'm the kind of joke writer where I'll, I'll have a quick premise and then over the years it, it balloons into a seven minute chunk and with the different punchlines and then in different tags. But once Trump got elected, my tags started changing because. My, you know, my set is wholly based on the trauma and sexual assault and all those things that that come from that. And so it's an easy sort of transition to make to tag political ideologies or at least thoughts about what's going on now with with our body politics. So it's it's fascinating the way that comedy, I think, has evolved. And then, of course, covid changed the way we do comedy a lot, yeah. the way that we think about comedy. And I want to talk to you about Nowhere Comedy Club and some of the stuff you're doing in Pittsburgh, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me?
1: Yeah, I'm not going anywhere.
0: Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey
0: everybody, it's AG and today's episode is brought to you by Apostrophe. Everyone take it from me. The most, most of the time, home remedies and over-the-counter acne products do not work. And even worse, they can severely damage your skin. Uh, it, it doesn't work These home remedies don't work on acne in the least. But you know what does work? Prescription treatments. That's why we're excited to partner with Apostrophe. We love science. And Apostrophe loves science. It's a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear up acne. A lot of people are getting the mask acne, mask knee, right? And so that's why I wanted to try this. And it's incredible. Apostrophe connects you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan tailored to your skin. Uh, you just fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals and your medical history. Snap a few selfies and your dermatologist will create your customized treatment plan. Apostrophe treats acne, but they can also help you hit your other skin care goals like reducing redness, wrinkles and even dark spots. I, um, I I went for the acne and the dark spots because that's what's going on with me right now. And I love that Apostrophe gives you a real dermatologist. And and my plan was tailored just for me and it only took a couple of minutes Submitting for my visit was quick. I didn't even need to schedule an appointment. And best of all, I didn't have to go to the pharmacy and wait in line for my meds. They sent them right to my house. And the prescription medications feel great on my skin. They're smooth and light. They absorb really nicely. And we have a special deal for you. You can save $15 off your first visit with the board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com beans when you use our code beans. This code is only available to you. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com beans. Click begin visit and then use our code BEANS at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash BEANS and then use the code BEANS to get your dermatology visit and save $15 off. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the show. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with comedian, author, columnist and co-founder of the Nowhere Comedy Club, Steve Hofstetter. And before the break, Steve, I was uh, we were talking about how politics of this country has impacted comedy. And also how COVID impacted comedy. And, I, and the last time we were on, it was a very different time in this country. And we talked about the Nowhere yeah. Comedy Club. And I was hoping you could, it, I mean, the COVID changed the way we campaigned, the way that we voted, the way that we've done, the way, that we've, the way we work. And so I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about where Nowhere Comedy Club is headed now.
1: Well, you know, I mean, right now I'm talking to you. I see you on three giant screens in front of me. Which is, you know, with seventy empty seats between me and the screens, and that's because once things can open up, um, I'm going to have a hybrid of digital and in person. And digital is not going away. Digital is never going to go away because we realize that there are so many people who can never see a live show. Maybe they have children and they can't get out of the house. Maybe they cannot afford a full night out. They can afford a ticket, but they can't afford parking and a babysitter and you know, $30 on burnt chicken fingers and whatever else comes with going to a lot of comedy shows. Um, you know, maybe they live in a dumb place that will never perform people it. People with disabilities,
0: you know, uh, that, that never had access to this kind of thing before.
1: Absolutely. Um, there have been people who have watched nowhere shows from their hospital bed. Uh, there was a kid with an iPad under his covers in Croatia, hiding it from his parents. Uh, there was uh, There was someone who said that it was her first date with her husband in 16 years because she was severely agoraphobic. And so they've just been staying home. And, you know, it's one thing to watch a passive television show, but it's another thing to be part of an interactive experience. And the biggest thing that's not going to go away with nowhere is there's this fan community that's that's created. And I've been seeing them coming out to in-person shows, which has been fascinating because now they're doing these meetups in real life. And it's, it's incredible to watch because... You never got to go meet friends at a comedy show before. Most of the time you go to a comedy show, you're either by yourself on a date with two or three friends, or you're at a bachelorette party and you're a horrible <laughs> person. The like most of the time people go to a comedy show, it's a fairly solitary experience, or you're with one or two other people. You might talk about it afterward, but they're going to comedy shows with 50 of their friends at once. And that's Incredible. And we've been seeing people meme shows where, you know, after a show, suddenly there's all this chatter and comments on Facebook about the show, which you never see for one that's just in person. And so that's that's definitely not going away.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I even noticed, you know, been off stage, been just doing the podcasting, but I do have a Friday happy hour with patrons and, um, you know, I'm like, man, I miss live shows. I miss live shows. And somebody pointed out to me, you do one every Friday for like a hundred or 200 people. What are you talking about? And, and, and then I imagine in my head, take back to all the fucking bar shows and comedy clubs you've done. 200, 100, 200 people is a big ass show Yeah. and your chops, you're, you know, you're staying up to date and, you know, it, it might be a little more political for me than straight comedy, but it's really, really changed the way that we do things. So I'm glad that that's what you're doing with nowhere.
1: Yeah, it's. It's very different, but the thing, have you seen Bo Burnham's new special? I'm about to, I haven't yet. So without giving anything away, there's a great deal of it that addresses the loneliness and the mental anguish of the past year for people. And watching it, aside from the fact that it's shot brilliantly and it's so creative and, you know, very well written and very funny, but watching it, all I kept thinking was, I am so lucky that I had digital. I'm so lucky that I had, you know, with Social Distancing Social Club, I've been seeing my friends four days a week for the last year. Plus, I do uh, Ask Us Everything with Dan Muggleton every week for the last year. And then there are other shows aside from that. And there are things like this. And the the thing that made me realize it the most was the day, the, the day before the tour started, Andrew Rivers and Jarrett Berenstein came out to Pittsburgh and met up with me here before we drove to Indy. And I hadn't seen either one of them in over a year. I hadn't seen people in over a year. And I was on the phone frustrated with customer support as they got in from the airport. And they drive up and I open the door and I just kind of give them a hold on a second. You know, I'm on the phone kind of get with you in a second. And I realized that like I should have ran and jumped and gave them a hug. But I've seen them every week for a year, Mm -hmm. even if it wasn't in person. Mm -hmm. And that's why it didn't seem special. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. And you 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 know, you mentioned Pittsburgh. You moved from LA to Pittsburgh recently. Yeah. To open the Steel City Arts Foundation. What is that?
1: So, uh I bought I bought an old church and uh you know, I think it's always good karma when a when a Jewish guy can buy a church. <laughs> um I bought an old church and I'm turning it into a live work play environment for stand-up comedians. Um there is a detached 3 bedroom home that comedians can stay in for uh, up to nine months at a time. Uh, we have grant winners that stay there. Um, there is uh, a guest suite that is nicer than any hotel room a comedian's gonna have on the road um, that people who are passing through can use, and a bunch of comedians have already used it. Um, there are three different performance spaces. One is a 250 to 300 seat full where the chapel was, uh, You know, full kind of concert venue type of space. Um, One is the one I'm in right now, which is a 50 to 70 seat, depending on the configuration, plus three giant digital screens where you could see up to 150 of your audience members uh, from around the world as well. And then the third one is a podcast studio uh, that is, you know, completely outfitted with it's not just a room with a table. It is a recording studio. And aside from that, you know, we have other things like a gym and editing bays and things like that. And the idea is just to help mentor some comedians to up their game a little bit. And, of course, it's all pending getting our zoning approved by the city, but, you know, fingers crossed.
0: Wow, that sounds amazing. Thank you. That's like one of those things you all sit around in high school and be like, one of these days, man, I'm going to buy a big old building and all my friends are going to live in it and we're going to do shows.
1: That's, I mean, <laughs> I that's that. pretty much what it was. I I started having this vision of this when I was doing The Fringe in Edinburgh, and I, uh, saw, so, yes. I saw this old falling apart church, and I looked it up, and someone had bought it a few years earlier for – uh 250,000 and hadn't touched it. And I was like, "Hey, could could I just give you the money back, please?" And I mm-hmm. could just maybe I could do something with this. Um but I couldn't get a hold of the person who bought it. Um and it was just this thing that just kind of banged around in my head for years and then with COVID, you start seeing the world a little differently. You start, you know, better understanding what you can do with your life. And a lot of people make the mistake of spending their life doing what they thought they were supposed to do. And they never bothered to examine that. You go, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go to high school and I'm supposed to go to college and I'm supposed to find a job, I'm supposed to get married, I'm supposed to have kids, I'm supposed to die. That's what we're all told. And a lot of that is not true. And what I believe in is figure out what you want out of life. And everybody's different. People want different things. A lot of people don't want to own a church, but figure out what you want out of (laughs) life, figure out what you want out of life and work backwards.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Reverse engineer it. Happened to me. (laughs) You know, I got the, uh, kick in the ass I needed from the, uh, former administration actually forcing me out of that job that I thought I was going to do until I retired. So yeah, it's very interesting what the circumstances will bring. So that's, this is sounds one. I can't wait to visit. I can't wait to see it when you've got it up and running. And, um, before I let you go, I, I I was hoping you could tell everybody where they can get information on your shows, where they can get information on getting involved or supporting Steel City Arts Foundation. Uh, I'm I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, but I'll let the Pittsburgh slide. Steel City, but uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> if it if it helps, I will never root for the Steelers. So if that helps,
0: <laughs> my mom's from Pittsburgh, so I just I'm I'm hoping she's listening and giving her a hard time. About it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, tell everybody where they can find all this information because it's absolutely fascinating, and I love what you're doing.
1: Thank you. If if they want information on Steel City AF, it's just at Steel City AF on all major social media, um, as well as SteelCityAF.com. If you want information on my tours, go to Um, I'm performing in probably about a hundred cities between now and New Year's, um, so you know I'm just trying to make up for lost time. And don't wait on tickets. Um, of the 22 shows we did on that first run, we sold out 21 of them. Uh, late show Tuesday in Appleton, we had 20 tickets left and it's, it haunts me to this day. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, pick up those tickets. We're having, a, we're having a lot of fun out there. Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully because of venues like the Neptune, we're doing it the right way also.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Everybody check them out. Steve Hofstetter.
1: Thank you. Time.
0: Everybody will be right back. Stay with us. Hello everyone. It's AG. Hosting this podcast has made me curious about the puzzling mysteries of life. What's the deal with the Bermuda Triangle? Uh, What actually happened to Marilyn Monroe? Why did it take so long for Rudy Giuliani to lose his law license? Well, when you need a break from contemplating the big questions, it's time to take on a puzzle that's meant to be solved, like the literally thousands of puzzle-solving levels on my favorite game, Best Fiends. And unlike mulling over the mysteries of the universe, Best Fiend leaves your brain feeling refreshed uh best fiends makes my brain feel invigorated like i just got out of a sauna like a sauna for my brain and the best thing is it doesn't require the internet so i'm traveling right now as you know and i can take this game wherever wherever i'm going any i can play it anywhere anytime i don't have to worry about wi-fi or using cell data it's great i've been playing for well over a year now i still get a little rush when i solve a level uh because there's strategy involved right i love the increasingly challenging puzzles the beautiful visual design is a nice break from the news too and best fiends has tons of puzzles to solve And unlike other matching puzzle games, where you have the same repetitive candy smashing or whatever, this is great. It has variety. Best Fiends has beautiful visual design, the sound is soothing, and there's strategy. That's the big thing for me. The only downside, sometimes I can't put it down. I'm already on level 2028 now, but there are thousands of levels still waiting. And with Best Fiends, there's something new to play every day. I love all the new updates, exploring new levels, catching new fiends, leveling up the cute collectible characters. A lot of strategy involved, and I love it. I like how the challenges get harder and harder as you destroy the evil slugs, and that there's multiple ways of earning in-game currency. So if you're hungry for a near-endless supply of fun puzzles, the kind you enjoy solving, try out Best Fiends. Just don't blame me if you can't turn it off. Download the five-star rated puzzle game Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am honored to be joined by the founder of Survivor Core. Please welcome Diana Barrett. Diana, hello. How are you?
2: I'm okay. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Hey, no problem. I really wanted to get the information about Survivor Corps out there. So let's begin there. Can you tell us what Survivor Corps is and what your mission is?
2: Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about my story with COVID, and then I'll explain how I started Survivor Corps. Um, I was one of actually the first Americans to get a positive diagnosis for COVID back in early March of 2020. Um, I had gone to a relatively small meeting. There were about 10 people there on Monday, June 9th. What I didn't know is that three of the people had been at a conference at the Sheridan Hotel in New York City from March 2nd to the 7th, which was one of the original super spreader events. Mm. Everyone at the meeting was infected and one died three weeks later. Mm. Um, I woke up on the morning of Friday the 13th, 2020. You literally couldn't script it with every symptom in the book and i am not i mean not knock on plastic here but i am not somebody who you know the last time i'd had the flu was 10 years ago the last time i'd had a fever was 10 years ago when i had the flu that time um you know a year earlier i had i was a photographer up until when i got covid and a year earlier i was chest high in the ganges river photographing the world's largest gathering of humanity photographing naked saints in the Ganges river and I didn't even need a Pepto-Bismol. And so the idea, like, but it seemed so, you know, unbelievable that this could be COVID because nobody yet really had COVID and, um, or that we knew of plenty of COVID obviously. Um, and, I was just so convinced that it was um, because I am a news junkie and I had been following all the news going through China and Italy. And I knew it was only a matter of time before it reached our shores. Um, How I, as a suburban mom, (laughs) was going to be one of the first to get it was, you know, no one expects to be the first on their block to get the plague. But there you go. Um, I really fought to get tested because I was really concerned that I was patient zero in my town. And through that, I, you know, everyone was really shocked that I was so public about it. Because um, you know, I went and I, I I did my own contact tracing on the presumption that I was positive, and put it out on Facebook, and you know, people reacted as if I had just you know posted that I had some sort of venereal disease, and everyone I had slept with in town. Um, it was really it was just so bizarre. Um, but because I was one of the first people to come forward with my identity when I did indeed get tested and it came out positive. Um, the New York Post ended up giving me a daily video journal um, and column that I kept throughout called my COVID that I kept throughout the 18 days that I was in isolation. And um, so I was it was odd. You know, I, I was the face of the non-hospitalized COVID patient. I was sort of the only good news story going because I was alive mm. And um, I, while I was in isolation, I became completely obsessed with the idea of convalescent plasma and that if I was lucky enough to survive, I would have this life saving power inside of me, this sort of superpower, you know, this internal hazmat suit that I could literally share with other people and potentially save their lives. I mean, I haven't taken a high school you know, the science class since high school. So, you know, <laughs> and here we are in a moment where like really the only people who matter. wear white coats, you know, there wasn't anything you could do to help out um, in those Mm. days. And so the idea that I was, you know, maybe this was the greatest thing ever that I was going to get through this. And then I was actually going to be able to help save lives. And the other thing that I realized is that I would be eligible to participate in all of these studies and trials and you know, because there were so few of us who had positive diagnoses at that point. And, you know, I I realized that there was a need to connect whatever survivors, whoever the survivors were out there with the medical and scientific world so that they could study us Mm -hmm. and they could Start to come up with some answers to, you know, all of the mysteries about this novel virus, so many of which were inside the bodies of survivors. So contrary to popular belief, I did not start Survivor Corps as a patient advocacy movement. Um, when I started it on March 24th of 2020, there was no patient advocacy to be done. You either lived or you died. Um, And but I started it with the mission of mobilizing an army of survivors to donate their plasma and support science and engage in every study for which they qualify. Um, And minus the plasma part, that is still largely our mission, although obviously we became a patient advocacy movement within a few short weeks as we discovered that so many of our members were recovering or I'm sorry, were surviving, but were are not recovering. Mm.
0: Yeah. And we should try to, you know, we're in a very different time now. We should try to remind everybody, paint that picture of what it was like in February, March of 2020, because we didn't know a lot about what was going on because it was downplayed by the previous administration. It was kind of hidden, kept under wraps and there wasn't, a uh, robust testing there wasn't contact tracing and so for you to take that on yourself as a responsibility as a citizen i think is it's truly incredible because you had you were fighting an uphill battle against this disinformation train that was coming you know that they, i mean we've all heard the woodward tapes we've all heard the purposeful downplaying of the pandemic uh, to to try to keep the economy going and and you had to fight that
2: some of the failures were at the very local level as well i mean the, the fact that there was no contact tracing in Nassau County, of Manhattan, you know, there was no, there was no contact tracing, you know, effectively done anywhere. Mm mm-hmm. um, And that wasn't a national program. I mean, there was, you know, there is definitely some of this to, that really will, will need to be unraveled. Um, what I fear is that we are no better prepared now than we were then.
0: Yeah. And that's a really that's a really good point. Now talk a little bit about how this didn't just impact you. This impacted your family as, as most survivors of COVID, it impacts their entire family and their community. How did it, how did this impact your family?
2: Well, uh, interestingly enough, my son had it before the rest of us. Um, We only found out after the fact, Um, but he had this sinus infection and like three weeks of intense fatigue um, from the last week of January in, To February, Um, he was 11 years old at the time, and I had never seen him come off of a lacrosse field early, or you know any field early. And here he, like, he didn't have the energy to make it through a practice, and. You know, here's if when you see an 11 year old who's asking to use a neti pot every day you know that they're having a real sinus problem right yeah and i took him to the doctor and my daughter is like is it coronavirus and the doctor was like oh stop it there's no such thing as coronavirus in the united states meanwhile he later we later antibody tested him and it in may and it's sh- was. Um, I then he, so he had a, you know, a symptomatic case. Um, but he went to school every day and he didn't infect anyone else in our family. Um, there does seem to be some divide that we see that people are more contagious or at, at, post puberty, mm. you know, just a general rule. Um, I got Covid, as I said in in early March, and I passed it on to both my husband and my daughter, who both thankfully had the mildest symptomatic confirmed cases of you know just about anyone I know. Um, and I actually take some credit. I I I have taken credit for that from the beginning. It was interesting because when I came out of isolation, I they were the first. People I saw, you know, like it it was like walking into a different world. I mean, I had left one world; everything was still open when I got Mm -hmm. sick, and I walked back out 18 days later to a city. I mean, New York City was on fire. There were basically there were tent hospitals up in Central Park. Um, The entire city was on full lockdown. It was completely surreal. Um, but they both had, had very minor cases. I attribute to the fact that I put myself in isolation within about two minutes of having the first symptom. And so I think that they were just exposed to a low viral load, or maybe they were just lucky. I don't know. Um, and it was interesting because my husband has MS and I was particularly concerned about him getting it. Because at the time, everyone was saying, uh, the elderly and the immunocompromised. The elderly and the immunocompromised. And here I was was 45, um, picture of health. And he ended up having a super mild case. Mm. Um, But then my son, um, who I would not have called a long hauler at all, was fine. And then uh, he was not, he was having headaches and stomach aches, but I, you know, I, it, would be, it would be hard to say that it was definitively beca- related to COVID. Um, but then the beginning of the first week of November, he was sitting in the basement watching TV as a 12 year old boy does. And literally one of his front adult teeth fell out spontaneously with no blood loss. Um, I rushed him to the oral surgeon who had never seen anything like it. Um, we got him to the orthodontist who placed uh, braces on all of his teeth to stabilize them. Um, and I I didn't know where this could have, I mean, no, none of the dentists, none of the periodontists, no one had ever seen anything like this. And so I posted in Survivor Corps, which by then was, you know, a hundred and 25,000 people or so in this Facebook group. And, um, you know, I said, Hey, has anyone had any bizarre dental issues? My son's tooth just fell out. Adult tooth fell out with no trauma and no blood loss. And, you know, the oral surgeons were like, you know, it should have looked like a murder scene. And there wasn't even a drop of blood on his t-shirt. Um, and the responses came flooding in, of All of these people who had lost teeth without any blood loss, Um, in fact, 28 percent of our membership reported new and unusual dental issues, 14 percent reporting things as dramatic as teeth cracking, crumbling and falling out again with no blood loss. And, you know, these are things that we need to really consider going forward because, you know, if, if ever there was a sign that oral health is, you know, is health Mm. and is not a matter of vanity. You know, our mouth biome is as important to our health as our gut biome, Right. Um, you know, all of these things. And to realize that so many Americans do not have dental insurance. And this is going to shine a light on the dental divide in America. But it also hopefully will give us an opportunity to recognize so many of these inequities, like the fact that we Ensure different organs differently. I mean, mm. one of our top complaints among long haulers is um, ocular issues, yet we insure mm. eyes and the mouth differently than we do the elbow, um, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and I think that this just kind of goes to the point that there's so much that we still don't know, a lot that we still don't know. And I want to continue this conversation about where we are now and what we're doing in the future, but I have to take a quick break. Will you, will you stay with me? Sure. Great. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hello all, this is Allison, and this segment of The Beans is brought to you by Stamps.com. The only silver lining to last year, and, you know, a half of half of being stuck inside, is that we learned how to work from home, streamline our lives, and be more efficient. So now so many services are available from the comfort of our homes that needless travel and complications seems even more wasteful. So if you're like me, you've decided to forever avoid waiting in lines and wasting precious time and money, I highly recommend using Stamps.com. Mailing and shipping online at Stamps.com is a breeze. They allow you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer, wherever you are. Send letters, ship packages, and you pay a lot less with discounted rates from the USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com has saved businesses thousands of hours and tons of money. You get all the services at the post office and UPS all in one place, plus big discounts on mailing and shipping rates. I found their service extremely smooth and efficient. It's a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices or a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Uh, Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. And once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get discounts of up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. So stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk. And with our promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and they'll even send you a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts are required. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Daily Beans, all one word. That's Stamps.com and promo code DailyBeans. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. And today's show is also brought to you by Credit Karma. Who doesn't want instant gratification? Seriously, if you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma money, you could win cash reimbursements for debit purchases that you would make anyway. When you use your credit karma money debit card, you can win instant daily karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card. And if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit karma money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 credit karma members and counting. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Go to creditkarma.com winmoney to sign up for free and start winning Instant Karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Uh, again, open your free account. Start winning Instant Karma. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchases necessary. Occlusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank, Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to the founder of Survivor Corps, Diana Barrett. And before the break, you were discussing how we ensure different organs with different, you know, the eyes and the mouth are separate from the rest of the body. And, and you know, when does something like a tooth falling out become a medical issue and not a dental issue? And just the rules that we have in place are so odd, but also that there's just like you said, there's still just so much we don't know. And I, I, I hearken back to you talking about you not knowing why your daughter and your husband had mild cases. And you don't know if it's because they got a low viral load or because it was like, because we don't know, we don't have those studies. We haven't done that.
2: Right. It could have just as easily been the medication that my husband takes to manage his MS could have protected him from COVID.
0: Right. And that brings me to my next question because. There's folks out there who who say that you're vaccinated now wearing your mask is is theater. I personally wear my mask uh, indoors when I'm around other people. Still, I still do that, especially if you're not socially distanced. And I was wondering what your thoughts were about that. Like, because we don't know so much, how are you acting out in the world? Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, Um I have to tell you, I've had such a unique experience through this entire global saga um, because I missed that whole beginning part. I I missed the whole fear of getting COVID. Right. Um, You know, I, I I didn't I I didn't worry about stocking up on toilet paper because I was or Clorox wipes. I was already in isolation. I was already sick. I already had it. Um, so I sort of missed out on that part. And then when I came out of isolation, I felt like I was in this totally liminal period. Um, I remember the New York Times wrote an article saying, like, these are the people who can now lick the handrails in the subway.
0: Like we were like we were doing that before.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But that but that here there was this small group of us who had some immunity. Right. For a period of a presumed period of time of immunity and so i feel like i've been out of sync with the rest of the world um throughout every part of this um, I, am obviously I got my vaccinations the moment I was able to, I got my, both of my children are got, have received both of their doses. Um, they are eight days away from being completely vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, despite having had COVID before, it is so important that everyone get a vaccine. Do not rely on previous antibodies. They, your natural immune response is nothing compared with what a vaccine-induced response is. Yep. And it is so important to understand there's a um, common perception that if you have had COVID before, you don't need the vaccine or you can wait for the vaccine, or you might only need one dose of the vaccine. And that, unfortunately, is advice coming from the CDC. Get both doses of the vaccine, no matter what, and as quickly as possible, but because the variants that are emerging have we have no first of all, you have no idea the day your antibodies are going to slip under a number mm. that is unknown to you that will make you susceptible. And the variants that we are seeing, um, we hope, are covered by the vaccine, but they are unlikely to be covered by, if you were you know, one of the first waivers. You know, the people who got sick in March and April of 2020, you know, that that variant looks very, very different than the one that we're anticipating seeing from Vietnam.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think that that is the, the core message. Everybody get your vaccine. If you're doing a two dose vaccine, get both doses. And going forward now, you had mentioned to me before we started speaking that you actually, that Survivor Corps went to the White House. Tell me tell me what that was about.
2: <laughs> via Zoom. Via Zoom. <laughs>
0: hey, that counts. That counts.
2: Yes. Um, yesterday, we had the opportunity to brief the White House, which was really an honor. And um, we've been working closely also with the CDC, the NIH, FDA. But yesterday was a unique opportunity to speak to the task force. And we made three demands at the end of the day. Um, and they were as following. We need a COVID registry so we can track people retrospectively so that they we can guarantee that they get the wraparound services that they need. And we need to be able to track people longitudinally so we can look at them prospectively, because God forbid we have a rash of 30 year olds coming down with early onset dementia in 10 years. We need to be able to figure out what caused it, the, you know we don't understand this virus and we need to be able to track it over the long t- term to be able to learn. Um, secondly, we need a network of post-COVID care centers that are available throughout the country in areas that have been previously medically underserved to populations who have been previously medical, medically underserved. Um, and finally, we need a command center within the government where this will be run out of. It needs a coordinated center who can um, advise these issues in real time. So it's not, you know, various agencies jockeying for power against one another. But we, you know, just like everything we do at Survivor Corps, everything needs to be based on three pillars. On equity, transparency, and collaboration.
0: Yeah, the equity is a big part too, because there's so many disproportionately impacted communities that need service, and like you said, wraparound service, and and to be tracking these things as they go forward in the long haul. Because we, you know, we've talked about that on this show, and people have been talking about that too. Like, what happens? You know, we don't know what this looks like in 10 years for 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 survivors. So it's so important. Can you tell everyone where they can find and support? Survivor Corps, and any survivors where they can join Survivor Corps?
2: Yes, please. Survivor Corps is on Facebook. It's an open group. It is available to anyone and everyone. We have clinicians. Um, Not everybody in the group has had COVID. If you have a question um, and if you have any symptoms that that you were wondering about, just keyword it. I assure you, if if it's related to COVID, one of the other 170,000 people will have experienced it. Um, we also have a website, survivorcore.com, it's C-O-R-P-S, which is a tremendous resource of uh, information, houses every webinar that I've done from with Dr. Fauci on down. Um, it houses a map of post-COVID care centers around the country, what to do if you get infected with COVID. The answer is get monoclonal antibodies immediately. Um, and we have a newsletter, um, follow us on Twitter and I'm at Diana Barrent on Twitter. And that's
0: B-E-R-R-E-N-T, correct? Yes. Awesome. I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for sharing what happened and for being outspoken about it so early on and knowing and kind of just having that instinct of, of knowing what what needs to be done. I appreciate your time. Diana Barrent, thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody stick around. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, that's the show for today. Please join me tomorrow for discussions with Diana Barrett and Steve Hofstetter. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. And on behalf of Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero, I'm Allison Gill, and them's the beans.